All right, let's talk about my life when I was younger and some of the learnings that I had and some of the crazy shit that I used to do when I was younger. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I share mindset, lifestyle, and business hacking tips, tools, and some painful lessons along my journey from growing my businesses and also working with some of the top entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professional athletes. Hey, Driven Mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. If you don't know who I am, I'm Michael Mojo. I'm the founder of Mojo Human Performance Institute, where we focus on business, mindset, and lifestyle hacking for Driven Mofos. And the reason why I do these is because most people waste their life and I just don't want you to be one of them. Anyway, I keep getting asked a heap about what my life was like when I was younger, what drove me and inspired me to work in the human performance space or human behavior, I guess you could say. What was I like when I was younger? Well, this is gonna be fun. This is gonna be interesting because I did a lot of crazy shit when I was younger. So let's talk about it. So growing up, my mum was 17 when she had me and dad was 19. Mum came from a Catholic family. Dad is probably the most bogan atheist that you'll meet. It was quite interesting growing up. Myself and my dad were really, really close growing up. I also have a younger sister who is 18 months younger than me as well. So growing up, it was quite interesting. We grew up in, I guess you could say, a lower socioeconomic area. We didn't have a lot of money. Dad always worked two jobs in most cases. And mum worked from fairly young as well, I guess just to support us. And we really didn't have a lot of money growing up. So here in Adelaide, we lived in Parafield Gardens. We we're one of the first houses to be built in Parafield Gardens, which mum and dad built. These days, it's a lot better. It's a lot nicer than what it was when I grew up. So grew up around that area and it was always pretty good because I had a good friend who lived across the road, Rocco. And so we used to ride BMX bikes all the time. The thing that I loved more than anything was just riding BMX bikes. So I used to race BMX bikes as a kid with Rocco. So pretty much once I'd get home from school, most days I'd go and pick my sister up. She was either at school with me or when she was younger, she was at kindergarten. I used to walk to kindergarten, go pick up my sister and then we would walk home and I would make her some food just because mum and dad were at work. But then I would get home, hop on my push bike and off I would go and I would ride until mum or dad came out the front and said, get the fuck inside because it's pitch black dark. And then I'd probably have to do my homework, which I'd try and skimp on because I hated doing homework and I hated school. So that was sort of how I grew up from a younger age. Now, my dad built cars from a young age and he was always interested in cars. So my dad's got two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, so he's a middle child, and they were always interested in cars. So the cool thing was that as a young kid, I was always around wild cars. My dad used to build some pretty crazy shit. In fact, he still does. He builds custom cars for a hobby. So he had everything from Cadillacs to a 1923 Ford T-Bucket hot rod that he built as a show car and took it around Australia showing. But I was also in a rally team where we traveled around Australia with a guy called David Hall, who was the Australian junior rally champion at the time. So I was part of his service crew from a really young age, like six or seven years of age. Dad's also had friends who owned drag teams and drag racing. We used to do that as well and travel a bit interstate to go to some of the races. So it was pretty cool. Like it was interesting. And I guess that's where my love for cars comes from. And it's probably the thing that drove me to be a diesel mechanic when I left school just because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I did enjoy playing around with cars and tinkering around with cars. And so I thought that that would be the best place to start, I guess, my career. So yeah, I was a diesel mechanic or a diesel fitter. And that's where I did my apprenticeship. Growing up was interesting there. And then also my parents had a close friend and they had a shack up in the Riverland on the Murray River. So I grew up water skiing, wakeboarding, barefooting from a young age. It was pretty wild because we used to race cars. I had motorbikes and stuff. So I used to, I never raced motorbikes, but you know, I was always growing up on dirt bikes and things like that. It was pretty cool because dad would just throw me the keys when I was like 13 or 14 and I'd just strap a trailer on the back of the car or hook a trailer up and me and my friends would go out and get firewood. And so yeah, there was a shack up there. So I spent most weekends either around motor racing or water skiing. 
And then a lot of dad's friends, because they were quite young, you know, if I was, let's say, 10 years of age, he had only just turned 30. So they were quite young and mum was 28. So they were still out partying every weekend and I would watch, you know, them drink quite a bit on the weekend and party and run amok. We were always looked after though, so I was never in danger or, you know, their friends always looked after us. So I was quite lucky, but I got to see a lot of adult intoxication. A lot of crazy shit happened as well. We used to buy old cars and then go and smash them up in derbies and crash derbies and things like that. My dad ended up saving up enough money where him and the Australian rally champion or junior rally champion bought this huge block of land where we had racetracks on it. And we used to just go up there and thrash cars around and shoot guns and ride motorbikes and do crazy shit, which was pretty cool. I really enjoyed it. The thing that sucked was going back to school because when I would go back to school, a lot of the other kids at school were playing football or soccer or netball or something else. And so I just didn't really fit in. You know, going back to school and telling everyone you rode motorbikes and shot guns on the weekend and, you know, did crazy shit and watch adults get drunk and jump over huge bonfires and all of that sort of stuff. They just didn't really understand. So, you know, it was quite hard to fit in at school and I really did struggle quite a lot at school. Did have a couple of friends off and on throughout school, but no one who I really would call a really close friend up until maybe later on in high school. And then when I was old enough to drive, then I would go up to the Riverland on the weekends and things like that. I stopped doing a lot of the motor racing side of things as well. I started pulling back from that and started developing more friendships through sport and stuff like that. I started playing Aussie rules football a bit more. I still played it quite a bit at school, but I was able to play and commit a little bit more in my older, well, in my later school days. So I guess that's where I started really thinking about human behavior because when I was young, the shack that we were at, I used to sit there and look up at the sky and wonder, you know, why is the sky the way that it is? How does the earth work? How does the moon work? How does all this shit work? Like, why are we here? And I started asking a lot of these deep questions. And I guess I was a really deep thinker from a young age. I used to spend a lot of time by myself. So I would just think. I still, even to this day, just enjoying going outside and looking up at the stars and just thinking. We've got a big telescope at home as well. So every now and again, I'll just go outside and crank up the telescope and look up in the sky. And even now I've studied a bit of astronomy, cosmology, all of that sort of stuff. When I did a couple of courses on astronomy, I think last year or the year before, I do love that side of things. I was always inquisitive in science. So I did love science. I just wasn't good at physics because I wasn't good at mathematics. So I sort of sucked in that area. Probably wasn't the best at chemistry because I didn't really understand numbers that well. That's changed now. I actually hired a chemistry tutor about five or six years ago and then worked with them for about a year, year and a half, just to learn a lot more about chemistry and understand it to a better level so I could understand physics better as well. And that's how I add in a lot of these principles into my work instead of it just being a very soft science or more of a social science. I do look at things from more of a hard science point of view as well and try to understand the physics of the way things work or the chemistry, a bit more about the biology and then try and piece it all together instead of it just being more of a social soft science. That was a little bit about me growing up, I guess. And then once I hit my later teenage years or yeah, I was probably around 15 when I got expelled from school and I got expelled for fighting. I used to get picked on quite a bit. I used to get picked on a bit throughout school. I had bright red hair, freckles. I was a bit chubbier and I don't know, maybe I wasn't the best looking kid. I don't know but I used to get picked on quite a lot. I really did just want to fit in. Like I used to really question why I didn't fit in at school. I used to watch other kids and observe people quite a lot. I was really fascinated by just observing the way that people acted and interacted, but I didn't really fit in. And so I guess that upset me quite a lot at school. And then when I got expelled from school, I was in trouble at school. I was in trouble at home. And then that's where I thought, you know what? I don't fucking belong anywhere and I was going to end it all. And I remember sneaking into the kitchen and grabbing a big kitchen knife one night when mum and dad were asleep and I was about to you know, do some damage to my wrists and I just remember getting really upset and bursting into tears and I was just crying until 
you know, I was shaking and I just got so angry because I couldn't believe that I had allowed other people to make me feel so inadequate in life. And I just remember standing up and throwing the knife as hard as I could and it cut my blinds open. And I remember just looking out and there was a street light sort of coming through the window. And that's where I made that decision where I would never, ever let someone dictate my worth ever again. And I think it was probably the best thing and the worst thing that ever happened to me or one of the worst things that ever happened to me, just because I think you know, sometimes in life, you've got to lose yourself in order to find yourself. And I think I just lost myself so much where I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to be part of something. I wanted to be accepted. And I just felt like, you know, I wasn't accepted at school. I didn't really fit in. I was in trouble quite a lot. I was a bit of a class clown. I think I used humor as a way of trying to fit in as well and get other people to accept me. But I would do stupid shit as well where I'd get in trouble. And I was always a bit of a troublemaker. I was always a bit of a hustler as well, where I talk my way in and out of things. So, you know, I'd get out of going to class or you know, I'd pretend I was going to go to music class or whatever and just, you know, go to the fish and chip shop across the road and grab some food or something like that while class was on. So I was always in trouble. Yeah, I used to just get in a bit of trouble. I was always a bit of a class clown. When I got expelled, I just realized that I didn't have a place anywhere. And I think that's why I was so upset. But that was a great thing because I realized that other people's opinions of me don't really matter. And there are going to be people who like me. There are going to be people who don't like me. There are going to be people who judge me. There are going to be people who accept me. And some of the people who have judged me in the past now accept me. And some of the people who accepted me in the past now judge me. So like I can't base my worth on those judgments. And I really learned that when I was 15. So that helped quite a lot. I ended up going back to school. So I changed schools and went back to school and finished off grade 11 and grade 12. And then I started developing some better friendships there. The kids that I went to school with at that school were a lot more accepting and the school was completely different. It was just a different culture. And I did my best at that school, but again, I was still a bit of a larrikin and a class clown and you know, used to do some dumb shit. So I used to get in a bit of trouble. I guess that's just how I was. When I was there, I didn't really see the point of school because I think I'm a quite a literal logical thinker. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just couldn't understand why half of the shit that I was learning, why I needed to learn it. And so if I couldn't find a practical use for it, I just didn't learn it. And even now to this day, a lot of the stuff that I learn is very practical because I want to try and understand something. There's a problem somewhere and I want to go and learn about it. Or I learn from other really intelligent thinkers and find out how they think so that I can understand the principles of why they think the way that they think and then incorporate that in my own you know, acquisition of knowledge, I guess you could say, or my acquiring of knowledge. But most of the stuff that I study is just so that I can be better at something or acquire a better skill. So ended up going back to school, finished off grade 12, had no fucking idea what I wanted to do with my life. At 14, I started working as a cleaner because I noticed that a lot of my friends were going and working or the people that I was at school with worked at McDonald's and KFC and Hungry Jack's. Didn't really want to do that. I didn't really want to be trapped there, but I started working in a service station at 14, cleaning the bathrooms and stocking shelves and all that stuff, which was quite an eye-opener, especially when you've got to clean the bathrooms of a service station. It can get pretty fucking disgusting. So yeah, I used to do that a couple of days a week and sometimes on weekends to get some extra shift and I'd earn some good money. And then I started working as a cleaner because my dad's second job, every now and again, he'd go do some cleaning and I'll just tag along with him. And then eventually they said to me, well, if you want to work and you know earn some extra income, then you can work by yourself. And so some nights I would catch a cab into the city as a 15 year old or dad would drop me off or mum would drop me off. Mainly it was dad, but he would drop me off in the city at anywhere between 11 p.m. and one or two o'clock in the morning and I'd work for three to four hours. Then I'd either catch cab home or dad would come back and pick me up. And then I'd have a couple of hours sleep and then go back to school. So I've been working from a really young age. I was super independent. And that was because mum and dad couldn't afford shoes. They probably could, but they always told me that they couldn't. So they couldn't afford basketball shoes for me and used to give me these shitty, I don't know what type they were. I think they were Aerosports or Dunlops or something like that. They were really fucking cheap and nasty. And all the other kids had these cool basketball shoes. So I just started working so that I could have basketball shoes. And so I always worked. 
But when I finished school, I went and worked as a plasterer doing jeep rocking and plastering, or I think in America they call it, is it white wall or something like that. Um, so I used to do a bit of plastering and did that for about six to eight months. It wasn't as an apprentice, it was more like a lackey, but I was doing a lot of plastering work. And then eventually started my apprenticeship and then got into that. So I was doing a lot of stuff as a diesel mechanic. Also around that time, I met a lot of friends, a lot of friends that I'm still friends with to this day who were fantastic. They really just accepted me for being me. And I think it was the first time I really would fit in with a group around my own age. Then from there, just developed those friendships. But they were drinking a lot. A lot of them are tradies, which don't mind. I mean, I was a tradie as well. But I found that they'd just go to the pub every night after work. They gambled a lot. They would you know, drink a lot. And I got to a point where I went, you know, I don't want to sit at the pub every night. Like that doesn't really excite me anymore. And so that's where I started learning personal development. Also, when I first started my personal development journey, I remember putting it on this audio program and listening. And they said, think about all the things that you're grateful for. At the time, I couldn't think of one thing that I was grateful for in my life because I felt so shit about my life. I was just getting by. I wasn't depressed, but I knew that I was just getting by. And a lot of the principles that they were talking about around mindset, I didn't really understand. But I just kept listening to it every day. Every day I'd wake up, go for a walk, and I'd listen to this audiobook. And then after a while, I started realizing that the diesel mechanic thing wasn't my thing. I didn't like it, didn't want to be there. I like learning about machinery, I still do. But I just didn't want to do all the work. I didn't want to lie under a truck after it had been, you know, coming from interstate and it hit a kangaroo and it was wedged halfway up under the front of the truck. And I got to get under there and take the sump off or, you know, pull apart the engine. And, you know, I got to clean out half a dead kangaroo and a fucking wombat and, I'm covered in grease and oil. It just wasn't my thing. Some of those guys I did my apprenticeship with actually come and do some of our courses now because they run their own business, which is pretty cool seeing the evolution of those guys as well. But yeah, I just realized it wasn't my thing. And the only place that ever made me feel really good about myself was the gym. I just knew that I loved going to the gym. I loved exercising. I started exercising around the same time I started working, which was around about 14, 13, 14. And that was because my dad used to hit the gym up a bit as well. And so we had a little gym set at home and I'd just start lifting weights. And I'd start reading about the muscles and the muscle groups and found it really, really fascinating. And slowly I started feeling better about myself. Shit, I can't even remember my first gym membership. But anyway, I was going to the gym quite a bit and I thought maybe I might go do something else. Maybe I might go start another career in the physical health field or something like that. And I thought I wanted to go do massage therapy. So I was looking through the newspaper one day to become a massage therapist and I came across this ad and it said, become a personal trainer. And back then, I think it was 12 months or 18 months to become a personal trainer. So I signed up. And I was so shit scared. I was absolutely shitting myself. And I was shitting myself because here I am going back to school as an adult. I'm the kid that was put into special classes, told that I had dyslexia and learning difficulties, that I had attention problems and all this sort of shit. So it flared up all these emotions in me having to go sign back up. And I still remember with so much clarity walking into the TAFE at Regency Park here in South Australia and going to sign up. And I was like, I felt sick because I knew that this was a thing that I was going to go and do. But at the same time, I was so afraid of going back and learning because it was just not something that I was good at. And it really scared me quite a lot. But what I took away from that as well was that a lot of the things that scare you in life aren't as scary as what you think they are. You just got to do them and move forward with them and just commit to them. But anyway, once I signed up, I started studying and learning. And I remember getting my first folder, my first quarter or my first 90 days worth of study. And I read all the notes over the weekend and I just loved it. I just, I really love learning about the human body. And again, it sparked all that interest that I had when I was a kid of biology and learning about the sciences. But like I said, I wasn't good at physics and things like that, but I still love learning about the biology and geography and some of the sciences. So it really sparked that interest again and made me you know, want to learn more. So I started reading books. I remember, I think I've still got it somewhere here, which is the first book that I'd read from start to finish on my own accord. And it was a book about nutrition. I think it might've been the Atkins diet or something like that. It was a book that I bought from one of those cheap shops. They had it sitting there and 
I ended up buying it and started reading it. And I thought, wow, I'm actually really enjoying this. And it sparked my interest for learning. So anyway, I just kept learning and learning and learning. And then where I was still a diesel mechanic at that time. So I'd go to night school. And then I got to a point where we we're starting to wrap up from, I think it was, they called it a certificate three in fitness. And all of a sudden, these lecturers started coming and offering me jobs because I was a straight A student and I was acing every test and I was really eager and enthusiastic about offering me jobs, but I was finishing off my apprenticeship or I was doing my apprenticeship. Anyway, I went into my Cert 4 and you know I didn't take on those jobs. But anyway, eventually I ended up getting signed off my apprenticeship and the day I got signed off my apprenticeship was the day that I quit. And I just remember the boss telling me, you know, Michael, you signed off for your apprenticeship, like we're going to sign you off. And I just remember feeling really sick, like I was going to throw up because I started thinking to myself, is this the best life is ever going to get? And it made me feel really shitty about myself thinking, you know, here I am doing this job, you know, at the time, I think I was like 21 or maybe 20, 21. And this is it. Like I'm essentially going to be climbing under trucks every day. Don't enjoy it. This is my thing. Like, I don't want to be here. I'm covered in fucking grease and oil and that's not my thing. I'm a bit of a beauty queen sometimes, but I'd rather just not be covered in shit all the time. Some people love it. Like my dad loves it. He just loves getting covered in grease and oil and stuff. But you know, he's a genius with his hands. He loves building things and making things. It's just, that's not my thing. I'd rather study and learn and teach people like that's what I love. But I didn't know that back then either. I ended up feeling shit and thinking about it all. And just before that as well, my best friend's three-year-old niece was killed in a car accident. And I just remember thinking, how can life just be taken away just like that? You know, we're here one day and we're gone the next. You know, all of that came together in that moment where I was just standing there looking at this bit of paper on top of my toolbox. And I thought, fuck it, I'm out of here. And so I just remember going into the boss's office and I said, look, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. It's not this. And then anyway, the big boss came in who was a bit of a trucking tycoon. He spoke to me and he said, Michael, don't end up like the rest of these fuckers. Go do something that you love. And so I put the toolbox in the car, drove to mum and dad's house, took the toolbox out. Mum said, what are you doing home so early? And I told her, she burst into tears and she said, you know, what are you going to do with your life? You know, all you've got to do is stick at it. In 10 years time, you'll have your house paid off. You'll have your cars paid off. You know, you'll be living the perfect life. You'll be able to get married, have kids. And now I realize, looking back and knowing a lot about human behavior, I realized that that was my mum projecting her values. You know, maybe she fell pregnant. Well, she did fall pregnant at 17. Maybe she felt like, you know, she wished she had that opportunity that I did where she had a trade and something under her belt where she could earn good money and she'd set herself up for life maybe. But it wasn't the life that I wanted. And I know now looking back, it probably took a lot of courage to walk away. I don't really think it was that. It was just probably a lot of stupidity and just thinking, you know what, fuck it. Like I'm young, I'm stupid. I might as well just have a crack. Yeah, after mum crying and freaking out and having a chat with dad, dad's pretty chilled out. So he doesn't really have too much to say. But yeah, mum had a lot to say. I thought I'm going to go to the local gym where I train at and I'm just going to ask them if I can work there. And so I walked into the gym and I said, look, I'll do anything. I'll clean the toilets. I'll clean the bathroom. I'll do anything, like just give me an opportunity to be here. And they said, Michael, we've got a job where you can work on the front desk and all you've got to do, they had barcodes and scanners. And so I used to scan these little cards that were laminated and that have a barcode on them. Back in the day, we didn't have the gym cards that you do now. And so, yeah, I would scan these little barcodes on these little laminated discs that people would have. And yeah, I would let people into the gym. And while I was there, I just started chatting with everyone and I would be upstairs and I'd train. So I'd get there early, train, come down, work for a couple of hours, go back up, train again. And I would talk to everybody. And after a couple of months, the boss came to me and he said, Michael, look, I know you're not fully qualified yet as a personal trainer, but you know everybody here. Like everybody knows you. You're a great trainer. You know a lot. In fact, you know more than some of the trainers that we've got here who are qualified. And people are asking if you'll train them. And he said, look, if you don't tell anyone you're not qualified, just start. And so I just started as a personal trainer. So I started working in that industry. Now this 
you know, we're talking mid 2000s here. It wasn't as regulated as what it is now. And so I started working as a personal trainer and fucking loved it. So from there, you know, I worked my way up pretty quick and became a manager of the gym within a year or two and then started setting up a franchise system with the boss that I had. He was quite a smart guy, quite a smart business guy. And so he set up his own franchise that we went out and we franchised this model of training system to other gyms. So it wasn't a franchise gym. It was a franchise training model that would train personal trainers on how to become better qualified in the area of nutrition and exercise physiology and exercise performance and all of those sort of things. So he set up his own training system. And so then he said to me, look, why don't you start training these personal trainers? So then I remember the first time, it was just prior to that, where we used to run this 12-week challenge. And he said, look, I would love for you to do a talk on nutrition. And I thought, a talk, I'm going to stand up in front of everybody and talk. I was shitting my pants. You know, I was horrible. I was so nervous. I was about to piss myself. And after I did it a couple of times, like I did it over a couple of weeks, I'd get up and talk about nutrition or talk about exercise on this 12-week challenge. And I realized that I actually love talking in front of people. And so over the next couple of years, we would run these training seminars and I would go out and train other personal trainers as well and educate them. And I'd help run this franchise system. And that's where I developed my love for public speaking and speaking in front of people. And I realized that I could make a massive impact by talking one to many. Then from there, I ended up leaving that gym and I got poached when Fitness First first came to Adelaide. They'd just opened their second gym at Highmarsh, but they had a lot of young trainers and they really didn't have anyone who was skilled already in the industry. I ended up working there for a year or 12 months and really loved that as well. And I just remember the manager there, sorry, saying, you know, you got to get out and get leads and all this sort of stuff. And I stood at the front counter for the first week and said hello to every person that walked in the door. Now he got pissed off and said to me, you know, you need to go out and start getting leads. And I told him to leave me alone. And then by the second week, I was already getting clients because everyone knew who I was. I was talking to people. And so I really love talking to people and connecting and being able to help people. So I worked at Fitness First for a year where I went back and studied a lot more as well. I did a lot more studies. I studied in the Czech Institute, which is corrective high-performance exercise kinesiology. Studied there, did a whole bunch of stuff on nutrition. Used to go to a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars, just trying to figure out how to keep helping people. And then I ended up getting poached to go and work at a medical center and then also had a falling out with my boss because he was sneaking the leads that I was getting outside of the gym who were coming to the gym to work with me and a lot of the referrals. He was telling them that I was unavailable and fully booked out and then taking those clients and giving them to brand new PTs, which I was fucking ropeable at because I developed a huge network of health professionals like physios, chiropractors, nutritionists, dietitians, psychologists and things who would send clients in for me or you know, they would say, go and see Michael for, you know, exercise and training and things like that. The manager there, because he gets paid or has to look after these brand new personal trainers, he would be taking those leads that would come in to come and work with me and say, you know, oh, Michael's unavailable. He's fully booked out at the moment. But what I can do is I can give them to someone who's just as qualified. And he would give them to brand new personal trainers who were just entering the industry. You know, some of them had only just finished off their certification like three weeks beforehand. And he's giving these people who are coming in from physios and chiropractors. So I started getting a tarnished reputation from the health industry or the medical industry because they thought, why fucking send referrals to this guy if he's fully booked out, which I wasn't. I mean, I was booked out as far as, you know, my own time, but I could have spent more time working if there were more people that were coming through. And it wasn't until one day a friend of mine came in and he rang me up afterwards and he said, oh, I tried to book in for a personal training session with you, but the manager said that you were unavailable because you were booked out. And so then that's when I started chasing things up and me and him ended up having a falling out. My contractor just ran out and one day he walked down the stairs and he said, well, 
you've created all this chaos. You're not welcome here anymore. Your contract has run out and I'm not going to re-sign you. And I went, you fucking prick. Because he had me, I guess, up against the wall there because, you know, if my contract was still in, you know, he might've been up for a bit of a battle there with management and leadership, but you know, there was nothing that I could really do. But I'd also been headhunted anyway to go and work in a medical center. So I went and worked in a medical center for about three and a half years or four years. And I ran a business called Rejuvenate Health and Fitness. And I also brought on a friend of mine called Adam Murphy, who is the strength and conditioning coach of the Adelaide 36ers basketball side here now. But I'd mentored him through his personal training journey quite a lot. So when I started there, about six months later, I ended up bringing him on as a business partner with me. And we used to do a lot of physical rehab and, you know, we worked with a lot of the physios and the chiropractors in the medical center and the health professionals there. And it was great. Got to do a lot of athletic performance, went back and studied Pilates and a whole bunch of other things. But it wasn't until one day I was sitting in the medical center and I just remember I would talk to everybody, not everybody, but I would talk to a lot of people who were in there. And this one day I was talking to this big burly guy who was sitting there and I was talking to him and he said, you know, Michael, I've got this pain and I've been seeing the physios and I've seen the doctors and I've seen everybody and he started tearing up and he said, Michael, you know, they're sending me to a psychiatrist because they think that I'm crazy. But he said, the pain's still there, Michael, but they keep telling me that there's nothing wrong, like they can't see anything on the scans. And I went, shit, there's more to this than what I know. And so I became quite inquisitive and I started looking into a bit more of psychology. And I would also work with the psychologist every now and again and go in there and have chats with her and try to find out what she knew and how I could implement that into the work that I was doing into physical performance and physical health in those areas. I ended up thinking this one day where I was talking about depression and why people were depressed. And a lot of what she was telling me was around past environment. You know, it was the past environment. It was the way that they got brought up or it was through, you know, these past experiences that they'd had. Anyway, I remember thinking, especially because of my background as a diesel mechanic, because I worked for one of the large brands, which was Caterpillar, if a machine broke down, you had to break it all apart and find out exactly what was the cause of the issue. And sometimes you would have to break down a whole motor to find that it was a gear that was broken. Now, even then, that wasn't acceptable. You had to essentially sometimes send it for microscopic testing to see if there were weaknesses in the metal or if the metal had overheated or if there were these other problems. We would send in oil samples into a laboratory to check the oil samples. And so we would look for the root cause of something. Now, I remember just thinking, well, what's the root cause? Like you can have two brothers who grew up, who are twins who grew up in the same family. One ends up a drug addict and the other one doesn't. And the other one ends up a multimillionaire, yet one ends up in jail. Why? Why does that happen? And those things she couldn't really explain. And so I thought, you know, there's got to be more to it than this. And maybe it was just her lack of qualification or a lack of caring. I'm not really sure. I don't really know. And maybe that's changed now. Maybe the education's better. I don't know. But I just remember thinking, you know, there's more to this. So I went and started studying NLP or neuro-linguistic programming because it was the only thing I could sort of get my hands on at the time that I sort of found. And I'd been studying some of Tony Robbins stuff. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to jump into this. Anyway, I did three master programs in NLP and every course told me that they were unique and they were the best and they had the latest content. But when I studied it, all three of them were direct copies of each other. Essentially, they just changed the name of the company that was teaching. That was about it. And maybe the delivery style was different, which sort of pissed me off and frustrated me because I thought they're selling it as the latest and greatest stuff. But at the same time, it's not the latest and greatest. It was created when I did research, which I do on a lot of the stuff that I read and put together. When I looked into it, it was created in the 19, I think the 1970s by John Grinder and Richard Bandler. And then a couple of big major companies had taken it and created all these trainer trainings and pumped out all these trainers into the industry, gave them these manuals, and then these manuals were copied with a brand of the person who had studied under this big training system. And so there's all these trainers out there who are essentially just changing the name of the company on the front of the manual 
and then just saying it's their own and that it's their own unique way and it's the latest and greatest, which was bullshit. And then I also found that even when they added stuff to it, they were still a lot of the same stuff. There was a lot of Tony Robbins stuff in there. Dad read Rich Dad Poor Dad from Robert Kiyosaki. You know, these days there's a lot of stuff, a lot of people reading Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and then adding that to the NLP programs, but they hadn't really put a lot of thought into it. It was very clunky and disjointed and didn't really flow and some of the stuff didn't make sense and they hadn't really gone and researched it. And so there was a lack of referencing in there as well. So like people just go, oh, well, this is my work. And then when you looked into it, it wasn't their work. They just copied it from somewhere and it was just an absolute fucking shambles. I just kept studying anyway. And I started reading more and more books and traveling around the country and then started traveling around the world, just learning and kept learning. And then that's when I really found my love for mental performance. And I realized that the biggest thing that stops most people achieving in life isn't their circumstances, it's their mindset and their psychology. And if you can get a person's mindset and their psychology right, most people can achieve anything that they want. It's just you've got to overcome a lot of the self-imposed barriers that they have from their past experiences. So it could be their lack of self-belief. It might be their lack of courage. It might be their lack of clarity. It might be that they're using the incorrect drivers like aggression and anger, and so they're burning out and they get tired. It may be a lot of self-doubt. It might be that they're trying to fit in. So when you start to understand these things, you can really then understand how to help people perform better. And then I started coming across a lot of the great thinkers who I study these days. I'd try to read the best of any industry because you see that there's just so much flow downhill from there. So a lot of other people then copy and duplicate and then try to make it their own, but it's sort of clunky. So I try and read the greatest thinkers. I still love a lot of the work from Sigmund Freud because his stuff, if you understand it and you understand the etymology of the words that he's using, you can sort of break down some of his work and it's very intelligent and it does give a lot of deep understanding. But anyway, that leads us up to where we are now. And I guess from there, I ended up leaving the medical center and started running our own events and our own seminars. And it was a lot of challenges because we started doing mindset and health. So that's the first events that we ran. And then eventually we started running events around success and mindset with a bit of health thrown in there. And then eventually I just had this huge catalog of all these different events. And we were running events almost every second weekend. We would do national tours, travel all around the country. Sometimes we'd travel overseas. And so I was just doing so much speaking and so much educating with all different types of people. We really didn't have clarity around who we're trying to help, why we're trying to help them, what we specifically do better than other people in the industry. And so over the last 10 or 11 years, it's been a lot of refinement, a lot of understanding around why we do things differently and how we do them better than other people. It's been a really long and tough journey. But I know a fair few of you have reached out and have asked me questions about how I started, why I started. It's always been just a natural progression. You know, when I was a diesel mechanic, I knew I didn't enjoy it. So the day I got signed off my apprenticeship, I just knew that it wasn't going to be the thing that I was going to keep doing. So why the fuck keep going? And so I just changed it. And then when I worked in the personal training industry, I kept going where I was working until I just got to the point where I was like, you know what, I need a, a change. And so I left where I was working, then went and worked in a small gym that had the franchise system into a multinational gym and then worked there for a year and just kept learning and studying until I thought, you know what, one of the trainers here who is probably making more money than any of the other trainers and I've sort of maxed out on my capacity here to learn. And so now it's time to jump across into a medical center. And so I worked in a medical setting for whatever it was, I think it was four years. And then I got to a point where I went, you know what, it's time to go out and spread my wings and fly again. And so I jumped back out again. And I remember the day I went back to my mum and told her that I'd left working in the medical center and that I'd sold, I'd given the equipment to Adam, who was my business partner and said, just pay off the loans and everything that we had. And I walked away with zero again and started from scratch again. And mum bursting into tears and saying, why are you doing this? You know, you've got a good business and all this sort of stuff. It was the same thing as when I left being a diesel mechanic. But, um, you know, it's just been a natural progression. And I've always found that 
if I just follow the natural progression of things in life, things tend to work out reasonably easier, even though they're fucking hard and there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure and a lot of challenges. It's a lot easier than being stuck doing something that you don't enjoy, that you hate, and that you're going to keep questioning for the rest of your life. And I think way too many people get caught up in that, especially from what I've seen. You know, a lot of people aren't happy either in their marriage or they're not happy with where they're at financially or they're not happy with their health or they're not happy just in life in general, but they won't fucking change it. They won't do anything. And I guess that's probably been a thing from being a bit of a loner when I was a kid. Maybe it was when I was 15, I was going to, you know, end my life. The lesson that I got from all of that was that, you know, you've got to rely upon yourself. You've got to do what's right by you because one day you are going to die. And maybe that was my best friend's three-year-old niece, Georgia, who was killed in the car accident. Maybe that was the thing that woke me up and realized that life's too short and I am going to die one day and I just want to keep enjoying the life that I do have because some people like her don't have the chance to live that sort of life. So I think some of those life lessons have really helped me a lot to just keep progressing in life and see what happens. But anyway, my big goals are, you know, I want to be on the global speaking circuit, run global events, but also as well, I want to have a community of some of the highest performers on the planet and people who keep growing and pushing themselves to achieve a greater life. And I think we've definitely got that. But now it's time to expand it to greater and greater levels. Thank you very much for listening into my story. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope some of you can understand, you know, where I come from and also why I'm so driven as well, especially when my best mate's niece was killed. Yeah, it just made me realize that life's so fucking short that if I'm not trying to put something in every 24 hours of every day, and even though, you know, you got to sleep and things like that, if you're someone who's just wasting your life, then, you know, there's someone else out there who is probably wanting that chance. For me, it's just, I want to try and maximize life. I want to hang out with good people. I want to meet good people. I want to learn. I want to grow and I want to do cool shit. That's why I do what I do. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks so much for listening in Driven Mofos. And also, I really appreciate all the reviews that a lot of you have given me on the podcasting apps. So thank you for all of those who have given five-star reviews. And also for those of you who have written reviews on the Apple app as well. If you haven't already done so and you do want to figure out how to do that, if you just go on Spotify, you just click on the star rating at the top. If you go to the underestimated entrepreneur, you can just click it and it'll give you the ability to review the star rating. And then also if you're on the Apple app uh, or the Apple podcast app, you can just click on the stars and it will give a star rating. So I really do appreciate it. It helps us out to get out to more people. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed a bit of my backstory. Stay driven, driven mofos. 